You're listening to All Things Cognition, a Psychonomic Society podcast. Now, here is your host, Laura Mikkis. This is our first podcast of 2021, and it's been a while since our last one, so I'm thrilled to get back to it. In this interview, oh, Claire, how do you say your last name? <laughs> I should have asked. Say it again. <laughs> Mitsinik. So Claire will tell us about her review paper published in the journal, Cognitive Research Principles and Implications, also known as Creepy. Who were your, <laughs> your co-authors, Claire? So my co-authors are Polly Dalton at Royal Holloway and Sean Hellman, who's at TRL, and also Sonia Durrant, who's also at Royal Holloway. Oh, I know Polly and Sonia pretty well, and what a great team. Yeah. Uh, so having moved here from California, where it's easiest to get around if you drive, and moving from California to England, I haven't driven in eight years. Oh and my. I certainly, I know, I, and I used to love driving. I don't miss it at all. <laughs> I wouldn't trust myself to drive because here I'd be driving on the wrong side of the road in the wrong side of the car. Sorry, Brits. That's just my, from my perspective, it's the wrong side. And an autonomous vehicle would be ideal in my case, maybe. But I'll let you tell me, Claire, if I'm safer in an autonomous vehicle or learning, actually learning how to drive in the UK. Your paper with your colleagues is called Updating Our Understanding of Situation Awareness in Relation to Remote Operators of Autonomous Vehicles. Will you please help me unpack that title? I mean, maybe it's obvious to everybody. First, what do you mean by situation awareness? Well, situation awareness is knowing what's going on in your environment around you and understanding what that information means and being able to use that to possibly predict what might happen a couple of seconds into the future. So in my research, I use situation awareness to understand what remote operators of autonomous vehicles might see in their environment and how long it would take them to process that. How does that relate to autonomous vehicles? So my thesis is an applied um, thesis where I'm looking at autonomous vehicles, which are sometimes called self-driving cars. And if I take a few seconds to just explain kind of autonomous vehicles and those levels of automation, because some of your listeners might not be kind of au fait with that kind of terminology. Autonomous vehicles or automated vehicles, there's a set of standard um, industry directives or taxonomy, which explains five levels of automation. So the first two, it's basically just the human is in control of driving the car. You might get some assistance from like braking or steering, um, anti-lock braking, but essentially you are in charge as the human behind the wheel and you have to do all of the dynamic driving and braking tasks. At level three, that's when we start getting into this idea of self-driving cars. The car at level three can drive alone for short periods, but the human has to be behind the wheel the whole time, ready to take over if the system requests it. At level four, the car can drive by itself and doesn't require the human to take over, but it can only do so in certain what's called operational design domains. And that could be a motorway, it could be a time of day or a particular location like a retirement village. And so at level four, the car can actually sort itself out and come to a safe stop. But at level five, that's what we really see at that fully self-driving, where the human only needs to set the destination and the car supposedly would never need a human to take over. And level five. 
they never take over or they can is there That's an opportunity what the taxonomy says okay however i mean some people have uh, referred to these stages as well like informally as feet off hands off eyes off brain off um, whereas our research, our article is actually dealing with the far off, that what happens when even entirely driverless vehicles are occasionally going to need some kind of remote human intervention. And there are a number of reasons why this might happen. So the reason for this is because many problems arise because they're not actually understood by the autonomous vehicle, which we call AVs, the AVs programming which would oblige some kind of human involvement. And these are called edge cases. So edge cases refer to, whereas an AV is trained on millions of images, they might, not, they might come across something which they haven't encountered before and they have nothing to actually reference. And in that case, a remote operator, a human, might have to rejoin um, the system, rejoin the loop in order to actually provide some kind of answer or possibly in the event of total system failure, they might have to actually move the car to a safe location on the side of the road or drive the car. Right. The situation awareness is of the operator, the, re the remote operator. So you just might be kicking back in a level five AV. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, beep, 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 there's danger. And then you have to kick in the gear, pay attention, put your phone down. There are increasingly sort of technologies is, you know, sort of inexorably marching on. And although we haven't quite got to level five yet, there are a number of car manufacturers that are bringing out level five vehicles, uh, crews of bringing out a prototype called the Origin. And that has no steering wheel or pedals. So in this case, even if you were a passenger in this vehicle, you'd have no ability to take over in the event of some kind of edge case. So oh this idea gosh. of remote operation, it means that a, a human is gonna have to join the loop remotely and they're going to need to build up enough situation awareness to be able to, first of all, understand what's happened because maybe the, the AV can't communicate that. And they're going to need to safely drive the vehicle. The whole point of the article is sort of to say that these standard taxonomies need to be able to include remote operation so that we can put in place regulatory frameworks for remote operators. They might need training. We certainly need to discuss safety protocols. And we also find in the literature that the situation awareness theories that we currently have are not really refined to deal with the issues of remote operation, the, the challenges that are going to be unique to a remote operator in a situation that they're not physically in, they're controlling a car that they're not actually in. Yeah. So the, the paper was basically saying, we have to figure this out because technology is moving so fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have to do this type of research and you have to figure out your taxonomy systems. That's it. Is that right? That's right. And we're also saying it's an urgent research priority to actually investigate um, how to maximize situation awareness for remote operators. So how we can design interfaces that would enable them to get the right amount of information, but striking a balance with how much information would represent a cognitive overload that would slow down their situation awareness while they're trying to process you know, all the helpful information that we could give them. Our research particularly is saying an urgent priority is to really decide what is the, 
the Goldilocks amount <laughs> for a remote operator. It's going to be just right. Is that is that work that you're working on or, that you're doing now is figuring out what is the yeah yeah so that's currently underway in our laboratory we're looking at a number of ways that we can deal with what they call situation awareness demons like being out of the loop so a remote operator hasn't been monitoring the situation so they need to actually get back into the loop they need to work out what's happening and we're trying to to discover how we can minimize the amount of time it takes them to do that and also the issues of embodiment are really important because if a remote operator isn't there that has an impact on their risk perception because they're not in any danger and it might also affect their speed perception because it's very difficult to pick up cues from a vehicle you're not in, like the, the force feedback of being pushed back in the car or being buffeted by the wind, none of these things will exist for a remote operator. Um, and workload issues are really important as well. If you have too much to process or you get another call from another AV having a problem, how do you prioritise which one you continue dealing with or, or similarly too little work is going to result in decreased vigilance? So how do we keep our remote operators poised and ready to take over whenever they might get a call? These are all really important research priorities. Do we know how often they might need to take over in a level five AV? Yeah, so we can look at data um, from disengagements. A disengagement is when an AV has had to either stop or allow the safety driver to take over. And California, your hometown or home state, (laughs) is um, the only place that actually currently records disengagement. So we can use that data and we can look. So Waymo, they drove the most number of miles, which is 1.45 million. And they had in that year, 110 disengagements. That's it. About one every 13,000 miles. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But we can look at all of the disengagements and actually see what kinds of things are causing disengagements, which is fascinating. What, What are some of the top ones? The top ones are perceptual issues. So it's things to do with weather, like sun glare. Um, It could be um, things like uh, the perception of signage. You talked about not driving in the UK, so maybe you you don't kind of really understand the pain of so many of our signs are occluded by other things. The the road environment is very cluttered, particularly in London and cities like that, where you can actually see parallel roads and all the signs for those roads. And that's Mm. actually fairly easy for humans to filter out irrelevant information but an AV might interpret all of them as relevant and and it gets very muddled similarly as well I talked about the way that the system is trained on millions of images if they haven't been trained let's say all of pedestrians are people walking around on legs then that means that they might not recognize wheelchair users as pedestrians We also see a little bit of um, gender bias in that a lot of the software designers are men (gasps) and men wear trousers and they don't think about skirts. And so (laughs) AVs aren't very good at bare legs. No! (laughs) And really disturbingly, red lights, which is a big issue, really, on roads. (laughs) Say so. 
Traffic light perception is quite poor in an AV. So all of these different edge cases could be quite easily interpreted by a human. So although AVs possess perceptual abilities that obviously are far greater than humans in some instances, we still see this need for a human to take over, potentially just provide guidance, some kind of remote assistance, or at the other end of the scale to have to remotely drive the vehicle which brings us back to the situation awareness needs i have so many questions <laughs> it's fascinating i could talk to you for hours about it is, this it's stuff. such a great subject it's a great topic it's so neat i mean i i am maybe just ancient and haven't driven in so long that the, the automated bit that i remember my dad when he would take us on vacations he would um Use cruise control. Do you know what yeah. that is? Yeah, yeah, cruise control. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> it's kind of saying that it's it's evolution, not revolution. That actually, the I, I used the word inexorable before for like the sort of technological developments that people have quite strong views about autonomous cars, but they're accepting increasing levels of automated systems in their car. Um, and they get in a car with a taxi driver who yeah. you trust to drive and humans are fairly bad drivers. So, <laughs> you know, we're talking about 110 disengagements in a year. It's, it's really, you know, compared to the number of accidents that humans have. Oh, it's impressive. Yeah. The benefits of autonomous vehicles are quite clear. Right. And also... As this becomes more and more popular, I will not wear skirts. <laughs> I think perhaps they should just employ some female software engineers. These edge cases are unknowable unknowns. You can't predict them. But, you know, there are more and more instances on in the media as we're getting these pictures of, you know, it could be a paper bag that's misinterpreted as a solid object. Yeah. Something as trivial as that, in one of the California disengagements, a, a company, which I won't name, but they had actually registered too big rain. Literally the size of the rain was the problem. <laughs> oh, really? In California? <laughs> it was in recent well. weather in, a, in the UK. That's obviously... <laughs> and, you know, a lot of these AVs are being tested in places like California where the weather is fairly constant and pleasant and... Yeah. When you get to the UK and every road leads finally in the last mile to some little dirt track uh, <laughs> you know, with no signage and nothing, you know, to kind of help these different roles that a remote operator might have to play actually kind of broadens. It could right. be informative. It could be purely um, logistical in terms of providing map based um, information, you know, because we all know what it's like when you're following a sat nav and it suddenly computer says no. <laughs> if they're testing all of these AVs in California, they must be measuring how the remote operators interact. Is there a lot of good data that you can? No. Did... So currently in, in the industry, there's a lot of debate about the role of a remote operator. Um, it ranges from people saying a remote operator is inherently unsafe. So there is absolutely no place for a remote operator and there are companies operating which do not have a remote operator in their business model at all. 
There are some companies that see more of a remote assistance role where the remote operator is almost like a conductor who can be communicated with by the passengers um, or might give information to the passengers. If there's a problem, a hold up, they might be able to actually communicate that to, to the onboard passengers. There are other companies who actually have remote control, so direct teleoperated driving of, of, of vehicles as their entire business model. And they are currently doing that process. They've extended it, I think because of the pandemic, um, they've extended it to delivery robots. Uh, so Postmates is one example um, where there is a remote operator who can step in to help if the, if the bot is having a problem. And again, there are some people within the industry that accept a remote operator's role is really important, but only at certain speeds or only in certain oh. environments. And what do you? That, well, that in itself creates a problem for situation awareness because the situation awareness needs for someone remotely operating a car or a vehicle on a motorway where it's at high speed is going to be very, very different to maybe in a loading bay where it's very slow speed, but a really cluttered, busy environment. And one of the use models that I've seen for remote operation is valet parking. So you can mm. imagine we all have problems dealing with a car park. Um, and so, you know, the idea that a, um, an AV is going to be able to negotiate that kind of environment with no no need to call upon some human intervention is is just unlikely in the extreme. So you think it's hooey that that there would be no remote operator? That seems is that right? I, I think it would be irresponsible. I don't think yeah. any engineer builds a system that they think can never fail. And so we need to ask what happens when it fails and have some type of, as I said before, some type of use case for the roles of a remote operator and be able to actually establish some safety protocols and regulatory frameworks for who that remote operator might be, how many cars they can remotely operate or or monitor at any one time. Um, Even things like the handover between remote operators, you know, you finish your day and the next one comes. How do you fill in that gap in that process if there's a call coming through? Um, So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of work to bring this remote operator into the industry in some kind of formalized way. And that was basically your take home message from the review paper. Yeah. 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 That basically we need to change the industry taxonomies to include remote operation, that the theories of situation awareness need to be adapted to include the challenges that a remote operator would need to to encounter and face and a consideration of how to actually maximize situation awareness for remote operators as a as an urgent research priority. Wow. You're going to set off a whole new line of research, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It needs it. It's quite a disruptive message and yet yeah. an obvious one. <laughs> a very obvious one. And <laughs> I think really when you speak to industry um, sort of companies, it was always get the, get the car, get the technology right, we'll deal with these little problems at the end. And that's where, that's where the holdup is. When I start- Yeah, humans, humans are always the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, well, originally with some of the first trials, the problem with the AV stopping was because humans kept jumping in front of it to see mm. if it stop. <laughs> so yeah, humans, 
humans are interesting we are unpredictable it is hard work for an AV <laughs> to understand what we're going to do and for it to understand that a big face on the side of a lorry isn't a pedestrian <sighs> the key issue is that the technology went so fast that the human factor problems have actually now been the thing that is hampering that final stage and um, that last mile that last push and when I started my PhD that you know everybody was saying it's 2021 was going to be the first self-driving cars in the UK and that's already been pushed back to 2030 and really yeah conservative estimates are more like 2050 but it is going wow to, yeah it's good it, as I say it will be evolution rather than revolution I see there's so many benefits with ride sharing, mobility solutions for people who have, um, you know, sort of restricted mobility, like the elderly or the young. Um, and in a COVID world, being able to have your own vehicle rather than go on public transport, but you might not have the funds or the parking to own a vehicle, you know, these cars could be self-cleaning. And so, you know, you get picked up by a perfectly covid-tastic vehicle <laughs> oh fantastic <laughs> no that that well that now that this i'm gonna cut this out i just got so excited about a clean car <laughs> you know how many dirty taxis i've been in i know <laughs> so gross this is so exciting fascinating great work claire i can't thank you enough for talking about it. this has been so interesting i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna continue to walk everywhere with pants on or trousers, excuse me. Yeah, please keep <laughs> pants on as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good faith approach. That's great. Thank you so much for talking to me about your really fascinating work. Thank and you. I can't wait to see what happens as a result Thank of this. Thank you for paper. having me on the show. Thank you for listening to All Things Cognition, a Psychonomic Society podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review. Reviews help us grow our audience so that we can reach more people with the latest research about cognition and the psychological sciences. See you next time on All Things Cognition. Cognition.